A reading from the book of Acts. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate, so that he could ask for alms from them entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Christ Jesus the Nazareth, Nazarene, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people.
A reading from the Gospel of our Lord according to Luke. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them, in the breaking of the bread. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God.
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
sisters with righteousness. And make the chosen people joyful. O Lord, save thy people. And bless thy Good evening. Thank you for being here this evening, and a thank you to those who are joining us online. They gave me a couple of announcements to give you, particularly for those here in person. Uh, if you are here in person, 
you're invited to join us for a light supper in conference rooms C and D right after the service. I'm told the menu is mushroom, spinach, soup, sandwiches, and various beverages. Also, tonight begins a new Wednesday evening Bible study called The Puzzle of Paul. The class will be in conference room A and B starting at 7 p.m. If you're having supper, you're welcome to bring your supper with you or to join the class after you eat. So let's see if my technology will work. And I... Assuming the preacher is not too long-winded, you can make it to the supper. So. But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And it is now the third day since these things took place. Hope. You know, I think the most hopeful liturgy in the Episcopal Church's gamut of liturgies is the wedding service. I've performed many of them, and I, I just love them. But I'm very disappointed by the fact that the word hope never appears in the Episcopal wedding liturgy. You might hear it in one or more of the chosen Bible lessons. You might hear it in ad hoc prayers. Is that my cue to in? Uh, but it's not in the liturgy itself. That's uh, on my mind this evening for a couple of reasons. Uh, first, I want to talk about the theology of hope. That's why I chose that particular verse to focus on. And second, because 43 years ago today, my wife Evelyn and I got married in Las Vegas, Nevada. Usually, as I just demonstrated when I say that, she will interrupt me and say, in a large church wedding, she doesn't want anyone to think we were married in some sleazy casino chapel <laughs> by an Elvis impersonator. No, big church wedding with a bishop. So how do we celebrate? Big church even song with a wonderful choir. Happy anniversary, dear. So let's turn to the story of Cleopas and his companion. I think his companion was probably his wife and is likely the one who was really carrying on the conversation with Jesus, but far be it from Luke to actually admit that. We had hoped he was the Messiah. The verb here in Greek is helpizomen, the imperfect tense of the verb elpizo. The imperfect tense is an interesting one in that it doesn't indicate that the action which took place sometime in the past has actually ended. In this case, it doesn't say that they had stopped hoping. As Richard Swanson, a professor of classics at Augustana College, puts it, is this action still going on? Or were the efforts, despite repeated attempts, finally abandoned? The imperfect tense doesn't tell you. 
at least not so that the matter is fully settled. It's a sort of wistful verb tense, this imperfect tense. The Irish language has a similar tense called the past habitual, which is often translated as, we used to. Think about the times you've used that construction. We, we used to go swimming in the lake. We, we used to go visit those folks. And there's a, a sort of implied, and we still do. Or, or at least, uh, I wish we still did. The action of the verb isn't quite over. It's not completed. We used to hope, and, and we still do. We make choices, and we hope. This, this is my theology of hope. It never ends. Hope may seem to be unfulfilled, hope may be disappointed, hope may be frustrated, but hope never it dies, it never ends. I love that song, Lift Every Voice and Sing, and in, in, in that lovely hymn, there's this incredibly poignant line, stony the road we trod, bitter the chastening rod, felt in the days when hope unborn had died. We all know exactly what the poet James Weldon Johnson was saying about the Ameri African American experience of slavery, emancipation, and the fight for equality in this country. As poetry, I love that line. As theology, I think it's completely wrong. And the rest of the hymn actually bears that out. If that hope had not been born, if it had died, if that hope, unfulfilled, disappointed, and frustrated as it may have been and may still be, if that hope had not lived on, how could those weary feet have trod that path to the place where the white gleam of the bright star is cast? Hope does not end. Hope does not die. And here's the other thing. Not only do I believe that hope doesn't die, I actually believe that hope is always fulfilled. We make our choices and we hope. We may not see that hope fulfilled in this reality, in this universe, but in the infinite worlds of God, every hope is realized. Now, what do I mean by that phrase, the infinite worlds of God? Well. I suppose we could go down the rabbit hole of quantum mechanics and string theory and inflationary expansion cosmology, but I suspect that many of you have seen or at least heard about uh, this year's Best Picture Oscar winner, or perhaps you've read Brian Greene's or Neil deGrasse Tyson's popular physics books, or you've read some fiction like his Dark Materials or The Nine Princes in Amber, what I'm talking about is the multiverse. The multiverse is everywhere. It's the idea that there are multiple universes, sometimes referred to as timelines or alternate histories, running parallel to each other, in which every possible outcome of every action is real. If something isn't real here in this universe, it's real in that one over there. 
Now, I suppose that a cosmology that says, or at least seems to say, nothing really matters because all possibilities are the same, could encourage some sort of nihilistic distress, distress or dread. After all, it kind of blows predestination and the idea that God has a plan all to hell, doesn't it? It's been suggested by one contemporary theologian that, and I quote, the human encounter of the human, uh, the encounter of the human soul with the non-linear atemporal infinite presented by the multiverse is a wild, nauseating churn that ought to produce deep existential despair. But the fact is, I believe that the multiverse is the reason for believing in the enduring nature of hope. As scripture affirms, from God and through God and to God are all things, all things, in this universe and all the others. If the multiverse, or rather in the multiverse, the outcome of any action or any event is not singular, Rather, all potential outcomes are not only possible but probable, and not only probable but actual. Every outcome really occurs in one or more of the alternate timelines. So although our hopes may be frustrated in this reality, they will have been fulfilled in another. Although hope may seem to be dead in this universe, it is very much alive in another. As Jesus says in both Matthews and Mark's Gospels, with God, all things are possible, all things. And it seems to me that that wistful, imperfect verb tense, that sense that we used to hope, and we still do, grasps this reality. Why? Because I don't believe that God is up there making the trains run on time and everything go to a predetermined destination. Instead, God is out there inviting all of creation, all of the universes, to God's ultimate end, what Pierre Teilhard de Chardin called the omega point. As science and mathematics has enlarged our understanding of creation, so must our understanding of God expand as well. To quote Teilhard, the world must have a God but our concept of God must be extended as the dimensions of our world are extended. The many worlds concept, the multiverse, tells us that all possible timelines of all the universes are diverging. But our faith tells us that God is inviting and gathering all the many universes to converge. Theologian John Hott says, God is not up above, but rather up ahead. Everything that happens in the universe is anticipatory. The world rests on the future. And one could say that God is the one who has future as his essence. This must be true, not just for this universe, but for all of the universes. So that in the end, all of the timelines, all of the realities 
will converge at the omega point, at and in God. Evelyn and I made our choice. We got married 43 years ago today in Las Vegas, Nevada, in a big church wedding. And I know there were lots of hopes held by a lot of people on that day, as there are at every wedding. Some of those hopes have been fulfilled. Some we've come close to meeting, but I know that an awful lot of them have been frustrated, just dashed. Such is life in this universe. Perhaps other couples in other universes realize those hopes. I believe we'll find out that they did, that we did in those alternate realities. At the end of Babette's Feast, Isaac Dennison's short story, and also at the end of the movie made from it, you may have seen it, the character of General Lawrence Leuvenheld stands at Babette's banquet and makes a toast. And this is what he says. Man, my friends, is frail and foolish. We have all of us been told that grace is to be found in the universe, but in our human foolishness and short-sightedness, we imagine divine grace to be finite. For this reason, we tremble. We tremble before making our choice in life and after having made it, again tremble in fear of having chosen wrong. But the moment comes when our eyes are opened and we see and realize that grace is infinite. Grace, my friends, demands nothing from us but that we shall await it with confidence and acknowledge it in gratitude. Grace, brothers and sisters, makes no conditions and singles out none of us in particular. Grace takes us all to its bosom and proclaims general amnesty. See, that which we have chosen is given us, and that which we have refused is also, and at the same time, granted us. Aye, that which we have rejected is poured upon us abundantly. If the resurrection of Christ teaches us nothing else, it teaches us that, that grace is poured upon us abundantly. We, we used to hope that he was the Messiah, and we still do. Hope never dies, and in the end, all hope will be fulfilled, for Christ is risen. Alleluia.
Lord Jesus, stay with us, for evening is at hand and the day is past. Be our companion in the way, kindle our hearts, and awaken hope that we may know you as you are revealed in Scripture and the breaking of bread. Grant this for the sake of your love. Amen. Amen. Please join me in the general thanksgiving on page three of the leaflet. God of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all whom you have made. We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life, but above all for your immeasurable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now may God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the one holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity, Bless, preserve, protect, and defend you this night and always. Amen. Amen. Amen.